What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is a rapid-fire Q&A filled with training and nutrition topics. And one final personality question at the end that is pretty badass. I'm excited to answer it. It's kind of weird. It's kind of out there, but I love answering those questions. So you're going to learn a little bit about me at the end. But today we are calling it rapid fire because I have 16 extremely good questions regarding training and nutrition specific topics. And I'm going to crank them all out within an hour. So grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, get ready to take some notes. You guys are going to learn a ton in today's episode. Guys, if you haven't realized already, there is a button in the show notes that you can click. I just want to let you guys know about this. I want to announce it real quick. You can click that and it will go to a specific page where you can listen to the podcast on a website. But you can also fill out a form called Ask Boom Boom. This is your way of getting your questions answered on the show. Now, obviously, you can follow me on Instagram and DM me and ask me questions there. But this is a direct form that I will be answering questions on for the podcast. So if you guys want your questions answered, make sure you're following me and if you want – While you're listening to the podcast, if you think of something random, this is why I put it there. If you're listening to me and I talk about something and something comes up in your brain, pause the damn show. Click the link in the show notes. Go to Ask Boom Boom and fill out the questionnaire. Tell me what you want to know about. It's literally just your name, a question, boom, you submit it, and I get to shout you out on the show, and I get to answer your question. That's what these are all about. Before we get into today's show, I do have a quick special announcement, something pretty cool I decided to do. So... As many of you guys know, many of you guys have read, many of you guys have uh, followed, many of you guys have actually gotten results from my ebook called The Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a nutrition ebook where I break down calories, macros, meal timing, supplements, micronutrients, how to structure your uh, your diet. It's the all-inclusive guide, quote unquote, to mastering your diet. Well, we've literally had thousands of people download this. Whether they're clients that we've given them to, people who are in the Boom Boom Elite who get them for free, people who have bought in the book online, literally thousands of people have downloaded this book. And it's unbelievable to know that a thousand people have actually read my ebook and have learned from me and have taken it away. It's a phenomenal feeling. Um, and, and the more I thought about it, and the more I was kind of looking at my website, the more I realized that I should just give this shit away for free. I don't need to charge 20 bucks for it anymore. So I want to do that. I want to give it to you for free. See, we were going through my website and we were looking at the homepage and we're revamping a bunch of things. And I realized I've been giving away this handful diet ebook, which is still for free and you can still get it on my website. But it isn't, didn't resonate with me and, and a lot of the clients that I work with because a lot of the clients I work with, is I teach them about macronutrients so they can master their body composition, their performance, learn how to actually intuitively eat because they have the knowledge base to do so later on. And a lot of that stems from understanding and, and calculating and actually following a macronutrient-based plan. So because of that, I want that to be the giveaway. I want that to be something that I give people. I want that to be something that more and more people get a hand, uh, get their hands on so they can learn the philosophies that I use with my clients. So what I'm telling you right now is that you can download the damn ebook for free. No charge. It's yours today. If you want to get the nutrition hierarchy for completely free, which by the way, we've never done this and I'm never going to charge for it again. We've been selling it for $19.99 on my website for, God, it's got to have been over a year now. And, and again, Many, many people have purchased this already, um, so I'm sorry if you've already purchased it and now that I'm giving it to free. Um, it's, it's worth more than 20 bucks in my opinion, but I decided that I wanted to give it away for free to all the people who follow me, to all the people who subscribe to this podcast, to all the people who support my movement of Boom Boom Performance. So if you guys want the nutrition hierarchy, 100% free of cost, the first link in the show notes is going to be that, or you can visit boomboomperformance.com slash nutrition dash hierarchy slash go there it'll be right there you can click download all you got to do is fill out the form um, and it's yours for free so if you guys want the nutrition hierarchy completely free now's your chance jump on that links in the show note and without any further ado let's get on to this podcast all right we have a ton of questions I'm sitting here with a blanket on right now. That's how cold it is. I, I can't tell if it's just really I mean like this morning it was pretty foggy out when I was going on my walk but I can't tell if it's just like full-blown Seattle winter now or if I'm just dieting that hard and I'm just getting hella cold. But your boy is cold and I've been using the blanket quite a bit. So I'm chilling here at the desk at my podcast station with a blanket on about to record this podcast. Don't know why I felt like telling you guys that, but I hope wherever you're at, it's warmer than it is here. First question, 
Will squat for pizza on Instagram. The girl Kelly. What type, and yes, that is probably one of the best Instagram names you could possibly have. What type of training periodization do you typically or prefer to use? So what kind of periodization do I typically use or prefer? I, I, I really do like a very, very simplistic. So for those of you don't, who don't know Kelly, um, Will Scott Squat for Pizza, she is a, a, an Olympic lifter. Uh, she competes in Olympic lifting. Your periodization is going to be extremely specific. It's a completely different outcome that we're chasing. Very high uh, specificity uh, of performance, right? Your goal is to actually hit a specific number on the platform. Because of that, percentages, volume, intensity, peaking, all those things, deloads, you have to like time that perfectly. You have to periodize it very specifically. For, uh, most of my clients are looking to lose fat. Most of my clients are looking to build muscle, change their body comp, and because of that, periodization actually isn't as important as it is when pure strength or power is your goal. In fact, there's even, uh, and I mean, you can't quote me because I'm not going to put words in somebody's mouth, but I've heard multiple people quote John Meadows saying that he doesn't even use periodization, right? So there's, there's many ways you can do this. Now, I prefer, there's, there's a couple ways. I prefer to always stay in a strength slash hypertrophy rep range. If I have a client that's in fat loss or looking to build muscle, I typically am going no lower than five reps. Very rarely will I do like three rep sets um, where we're going super heavy. Um, I never go really above 85% of their one rep max. I mean, unless somebody wants to test, um, like we have a testing program inside the Boom Boom Elite where you can test your max lifts and stuff so you can get some some metrics to play with and some metrics to go off of. But very rarely am I going above 85% because the injury risk just goes way up. And if you're not competing in a sport, there's really no point for it. Body, You don't need to go above 85% to improve your body composition. But I will typically stay in that like 5 to 12 rep range um, and then sometimes dip into the 15 to 20 rep range um, 24-7 all the time. And there's two ways I do it. And this is just typical, right? And I, I do have clients where I will go through specific strength phases, specific intensification phases, accumulation phases, specific hypertrophy phases. So there's ways we can do this, like even just like a classic linear block periodization where we're just adding reps, but we stay in that strength range for a month. We shift into a little bit higher, that strength hypertrophy range for a month. And then we go into a, um, an intent, more intense phase where well, a higher volume phase where we actually bring up volume and everything is like eight to 20 reps for four to eight weeks. And then we cycle back to the strength phase to build some good solid gains on top of what we already uh, produced in the reps. So, and that works well because if I spend four to eight weeks specifically focusing on strength, I'm going to get the neurological adaptations to lift more weight. So when I get to those high rep, the eight, 12, 20 rep range uh, blocks that I'm spending four to eight weeks in there, I'm actually going to be able to lift more weight for the given high rep sets, meaning I'm going to create more hypertrophy. So there is reason to do that because if you stay in the 12 to 20 rep range, 24 seven, you're going to have limiting returns. Like there's going to get a point where you stop gaining, you stop building muscle because you can't go any heavier on this 12 rep squat and it's going to happen. So what do you, what do you need to do? You need to take a step back, spend a block or a phase doing some lower rep heavyweight training to build the neurological strength needed in order to perform a heavier weight at that 12 rep. So there is times that I do that. Um, and then other times I'll do more of a daily undulated periodization, which is basically saying that I'm going to target two to three specific outcomes every single week. Um, and you can do uh, functional muscle two is going to release this month. And it's, uh, I use components of that and weekly undulated periodization in it. So weekly undulated periodization would say I'm using two to three different um, outcomes every other week. And when I say outcomes, what I mean is um, specifically strength, power, speed, hypertrophy. Like my focus with that is I'm, I'm targeting one specific outcome. So uh, in a daily undulated periodization standpoint, this might look like me having – you know, maybe an upper lower split where one day I'm going pretty heavy. Everything is in that five to eight rep range and my goal is to build strength. And then the, the other upper lower day of the week, I am doing eight, 12, 20 rep range, specifically focusing on hypertrophy. That's a form of daily undulated periodization because each day I go to the gym, focusing on a different thing. Uh, for power lifters, this works really well. And you can do three days a week of the compounds, for example. Um, and you're doing Monday is strength day. So you're doing specifically like five by five. Day two is power day, so you're doing six by three 
um, focusing on that like 60 to 65 percent of your max uh, one RM. Um, but you're going for speed, so I'm going for explosiveness. So it's a very neuro demanding, neurological demanding day, uh, but not a very muscular taxing day. Um, not really taxing on your joints either, because you're not lifting heavy loads. And then Friday, you're doing a hypertrophy day, so you're staying in that like four sets of eight rep range, and you're doing 70% of your one rep max. Um, this works strength, power, and hypertrophy all in one week. Great way to do it. If somebody just wants to build muscle or just wants to burn fat. If you just want to burn fat, you're probably going to want to target muscle growth for your main uh, main folk, uh, main outcome because you don't really train for fat loss. You train for muscle growth and you diet for fat loss. You're probably going to follow something similar, but you might want to take out the speed work because you don't need to focus on speed work as much since you're not a power lifter or a weight lifter. So in your case, you might do, like I said, you're just focusing on two modalities each week, strength and hypertrophy. That's daily undulated periodization. In, in funct or functional muscle 2.0, I'm going to actually focus on that. So there's always going to be a strength day and a hypertrophy day. But that strength day is undulating weekly periodization, meaning week one, we're probably focusing on a little bit more strength. Week two, we're focusing on a little more speed. Because as we know, when we focus on speed work being explosive, even with a 60 to 65% of your one rep max, which was once known as something that you can't build muscle with because it's so light – if you're focusing on speed, you're going to recruit more muscle fibers. So when you get back to doing hypertrophy work or assess your work afterwards, you're actually going to be able to have the capacity to build more muscle. It's a proven fact, and it's been documented in studies. So it's, it's, in, it's a good idea to do some speed work. But you don't need to do all the speed work all the time. Um, and I also use this in the program because it's a way that we can optimize recovery. So you're not going hard on strength. If you're doing five by five strength work, for example, or three by three or whatever, every single week, your joints are going to hurt. Your nervous system is going to be taxed because you're just lifting heavy all the time. But if we're undulating it so every other week you're doing that, mixing it up with speed work, you're winning. You're going to save recovery. You're going to deload naturally every other week, and you're going to produce better gains. So there's different ways to do it. So I don't typically use un, uh, weekly undulated periodization, but sometimes I will. Oftentimes I'm doing like a daily undulated periodization um, where we're either going full body and we might focus on three different outcomes or two, um, or I'm doing a uh, an undulated fashion where I'm changing things during the session every single time. So we might actually start with speed work. So maybe I do three sets of three bench press at 65% of my one rep max. So I'm going speed work right at the beginning to follow that, I have three sets of three again, but at a 85% of one rep max. So now I'm going pure strength. Following that, I hit every accessory work and my finisher, my metabolic work, all in the 8, 10, 12, and 20 rep range. So now I'm working speed, strength, and hypertrophy in each session. This works really well for somebody who was training with me in the gym twice a week, for example, because I only get to see them twice. So I'm using everything. Or somebody who can only make it to the gym three times a week works excellent for them because now we can hit each modality. But if you can hit four or five days a week in the gym, I typically like to uh, split it up a little bit. Um, and then last but not least, the upper-lower split. It is a form of daily undulated periodization, but we are actually going to call it the conjugate method because Louis Simmons and Westside are kind of who coined that. And what they did is they would do one strength day, so you have an upper-lower split. Monday, Tuesday is upper day and lower day. You're doing a max effort day. So that's your strength day. Lower rep, heavy weights. Monday's upper, Tuesday's lower. Wednesday, you take a rest day. Thursday, you're back to upper day, but they would call it dynamic day. So they would do power days. They would do speed work. They would do accessory work. Um, for my clients, I'm doing hypertrophy work. So we call it repetition effort day. So now we're peaking the reps higher, focusing on muscle growth. And we'll do that again on Saturday with a fourth day, which is going to be legs. So there's different ways we can focus on periodization. The way I like to work on periodization is where I don't have to spend extended blocks in one specific focus, which means I'm not spending four to eight weeks only focusing on strength. I'm spending four weeks in this one block because usually my blocks and my phases are four weeks long. I'm spending four weeks and I'm going to do a little bit of speed. I'm going to do a little bit of strength. I'm going to do a little bit of hypertrophy. Um, and my periodization is going to be block periodization, meaning all I want to do is progress weight every single week, every single month. And when I can't progress weight, what I'll do is I will progress weight and drop reps. So I still can progress weight, but I'm lowering the reps. So maybe we start at 10 reps. Week two, we add weight, go nine reps. Week three, we add weight, go eight reps. Week four, we add, add weight, go seven reps. Week five, we go six, add weight, and then we bring it back to 10 with a heavier weight than what we did 10 for on week one. So there's a lot of ways to do it. 
I just ranted on a few different ones, but I typically like to set up my training that way. It's what's shown the best progress for people strictly looking for body composition, in my opinion. Um, but again, if you're a power lifter, if you are a weightlifter, Olympic lifter, you're probably going to need to get a little bit more specific because you're looking at percentages, meaning percentages of lifts. All right, uh, Jen underscore Johnston asked, difference in prescription for macros for clients who do high-intensity workouts like CrossFit versus hot yoga? This is pretty easy. Um, I mean, the big difference is going to be carbs. CrossFit, high-intensity modalities of any sort, um, or high-volume approaches like bodybuilding where you're looking to build muscle, you need carbohydrates in the diet. So the difference in prescription is going to be probably a bit higher carb um, because their fuel demands are different. Hot yoga, you're not going to need nearly as much carbs. And if your goal was body composition, I might actually lower carbs and bring up fat to try to get you more uh, metabolically flexible, get your body more fat adapted. Because when you are doing hot yoga, it's a lot easier to – I shouldn't say easier to go through the movements because I suck at hot yoga. But your fuel demands are lower. You don't need carbohydrates. You don't need glycogen to perform because you're not going at a hard pace. Your heart rate's not growing. You're not creating lactic acid, so on and so forth. The need for carbs aren't there. So I would probably take a lower-carb approach with someone who is just doing hot yoga. Um, somebody who's doing CrossFit or anything – excuse me, anything high intensity, I'm going, uh, I'm always going to have more carbs just because it's glycolytic in nature and they need them for that. Um, so that's the big difference. But at the end of the day too, we got to remember that calories in versus calories out, right? So like my number one thing is going to be no matter if you're doing hot yoga, bodybuilding, CrossFit, baseball, like I don't, I don't give a shit. If your goal is fat loss, the first thing we're going to do is look at what you can adhere to. So if you do hot yoga and your goal is to lose weight, I'm going to create a calorie deficit and I'm going to focus on finding a macro prescription that works for you. Um, if we're going to go into the science, that's when I would say, like, if you want to get really specific, then yeah, we're probably going to cut carbs with you versus a CrossFitter. Strength by James. Can you get the same results, both strength and body comp wise with heavy unilateral versus compound lifts? So, what he means by that is basically like looking at um, we have a dumbbell split squat, which is a heavy unilateral, or a barbell back squat. Can you get the same strength and body comp wise with heavy unilateral versus compound? So there's a couple ways to look at this. They, there was a study that showed people will build more muscle. It was like very minimal. Like they built more uh, mass in their arms and their biceps and I believe their legs. I don't know if they had any documentation of like growth in their lats or their shoulders or their chest, but I also don't think they measured those things. I think they just measured the limbs. Um, who They had more significant muscle growth uh, when they added in unilateral or they called it single joints, so like curls and lunges and stuff like that. But what that tells us is that compounds alone aren't just aren't enough compounds plus unilateral or single joint movements are probably going to a build more muscle b improve imbalances because when we have imbalances those are going to make our compounds worse if we have instability in our knees we lack mobility in our ankles or hips anything like that single leg work single arm work unilateral work can help significantly with um with fixing those imbalances um so I think it's important to have those because you're going to be better at those compounds over time if you focus on that. Um, now, can you build more strength? Maybe not. I mean it, it goes both ways. Like the, this, the same study showed that there was no strength differences. So I think the argument is this. Like if you're only doing compound lifts, you might be able to build more strength because you have more time to spend on volume doing compound lifts. So if I have – two hours and I can either just squat or I can squat plus do a bunch of unilateral work, I'm probably going to get stronger just squatting because there's a lot of the squat and the strength in the squat that is neurological from a skill component. So just getting good at that movement pattern um, and progressing over time and because I have more time to get better at it and, and progress on that movement, I'm probably going to do be able to get a little stronger. Now, if you have imbalances or issues, then I would say no because if you just squat, you're going to compensate for those imbalances and then nothing gets fixed. Um, if I say for body comp, I would say um, you need both. And I don't think in any – I think at the end of the day, there is no one versus the other. Like you can't – can you get the same results with strength 
I would say no because strength is a very neurological thing. You need uh, heavy weights, and you can simply load up a barbell more on a back squat than you can a split squat. You might be able to build just as much muscle by only doing split squats. You might save your back some pain too, but I do believe strength is so neurological that you would probably get better results with just compound lifting if I had to pick one. But I think having the combination of compound lifts and unilateral lifts is always going to precede just one by itself. Um, So body composition-wise, it's tough because I think at first, yeah, I mean, like, I think at first you could get away with just doing unilateral work and you would build just as much muscle. But I mean, look at it like this. You're way more likely to plateau on a dumbbell split squat or a Bulgarian squat or a curl or anything like that than you are to plateau on a squat or a bench or a a deadlift. You just have more room to grow and more room to progress and more room to add weight to those lifts. Even on a lunge, you can only go get so high before your grip just gives out. Um, I mean, like, I've gotten up to doing reps of uh, 100-pound dumbbells with Bulgarian split squats, and I'm doing six per side with 100 pounds in each side. That's heavy on a split squat, on a Bulgarian split squat, which are brutal. I think I could have gone heavier and hit three reps with 110, but I couldn't hold on to the dumbbells for any longer. My grip was just shot after a couple sets. With a back squat, my grip's never phased. So I think it just depends on how you look at things. Um, For body comp-wise, I think at first you could get away with it, but sooner or later you're going to have to introduce the compounds. Um, I think for body comp, you can't just do the compounds. I guess actually you could because it's more diet. Um, but if we're talking about muscle growth, like you need the compounds to isolate your biceps, your rear delts, stuff like that. So, um, it's such a hard question, man. I don't think we can isolate one or the other or say versus, um, like one is better or like which one I I have to go with both. How do you, this is the same question or same guy strength by James. How do macros change with vegans slash vegetarians, especially with protein? You know, if anybody listening to this likes Joe Rogan, go listen to the Chris Cresser and Dr. Joel something podcast. Um, I have no issues with vegans or vegetarians. I coach multiple, um, and I've worked with plenty over the years. Um, but I will say that Chris Cresser bring the heat, and I think he defended meat eaters and paleo eating very well. I think that he – I think the – I think – Having animal products in your diet trumps being a vegetarian or a vegan, and I think he proved that. Um, I think if you're a vegan or a vegetarian for ethical reasons, that's great. I think that's there's nothing wrong with that, um, and I agree with a lot of the beliefs that you have. And I think that's I think if you're gonna be a vegan or vegetarian, that's why it should be. It should be because ethically you do not want to consume animal products. Um, because of cruelty and different things like that. And I think that's the only reason to be a vegan or vegetarian. I think it's totally fine if you do. And you can get away with being healthy and still being a vegan vegetarian. Don't get me wrong. But what what I found with the podcast is that it brought to uh, light a lot of science that has kind of dispelled the myths uh, around meat and animal products. And that the reality is if you get good sourced animal products, there's just so many benefits to be had within those foods because – we need nutrients. We need different proteins and macros and micros and all these different reasons for eating meats and uh, and animal products in general, eggs, stuff like that. Um, and Chris Cresser just had so much information, so much knowledge, and so much science to back up his claims. Um, and, and the the vegetarian, the vegan, he really didn't. A lot of his stuff was very, very outdated. All of his, his studies were back from the 50s and 60s and 70s. So um, very powerful, very interesting, and very uh, – I, I respect those guys for being able to get on there and not get angry and just, just conversate and debate. Really, really cool podcast. But how macros change with vegans and vegetarians, especially with protein um, – I mean, it goes back to that saying, you know, calories in versus calories out. So really, they don't always change. Macros don't need to change. Like, macros are going to change person to person whether they're a meat eater or not, vegetarian or not, vegan or not. Um, At the end of the day, certain people, depending on their lifestyle, their hormonal profile, their performance, they're going to need their preferences. They're going to need more carbs or they're going to need more fat. And that's how we're going to skew their diet. It's going to be a bigger ratio in one or the other depending on that or it's going to be kind of balanced. Typically, we lean heavier on one way or the other. Um, And then with protein, it doesn't change either. In fact, I really, really encourage and push my vegan and vegetarian clients to still get as much protein as a meat eater. Um, That one pound 
uh, one gram per pound of body weight because you know, as a meat eater, I can get away with eating like 0.8 grams per pound and I'm totally fine. That's plenty for me to get away with because um, I'm eating very bioavailable protein. Um, and, and I had Dr. Jose Antonio on the podcast and he talked about this, like the amino acid profile inside of animal proteins is just much more favorable to build muscle, recover, um, repair tissues in the body, everything. Um, in plant-based protein, the amino acid profile is not as favorable. And because of that, it's more important to get the protein in um, at a higher amount as a vegan or vegetarian. So with my clients who are, who are vegan or vegetarians, the macros are still just individualized to their, their training and their lifestyle and their goals. And the protein is always going to be around that one gram per pound. Um, unless they have like a lot of weight to lose, I can go lower. But I'm really focusing on them trying to hit all the the main points of getting a good protein intake, like spreading out evenly to hit muscle protein synthesis, getting the full amount each day because you just need that much protein, especially when it's not as bioavailable, so on and so forth. Um, and usually I have them drinking some shakes because at the end of the day, it's really hard to get, um, unless you're, uh, if you're a vegetarian and you can do fish and eggs, it's different, it's a little bit easier, but for vegans, it's, it's really important to get a, like a Vega one shake because it's just hard to get not only the right amino acids in your diet, but also get just enough protein. So shakes really do help. Um, and then there's a lot of vitamins and minerals that I'm, I'm supplying with them because, again, uh, vitamin B, iron, uh, um, creatine, uh, leucine again. There's a lot of different things, omega-3s, so they can't, if they're not doing fish, they're not getting fish oil, so we got to go algae oil. There's a lot of vitamins and minerals we need to supplement in uh, to make sure that you're not having any nutrient deficiencies at that point too. Macros won't even matter if you don't get those. Parkside Nutrition. What was the turning point for your business? Was it a cert, workflow strategy, etc.? Um, it definitely wasn't a cert. Um, and the reason I laugh and say that is because I don't think you're ever going to go to a cert certification and just be like, boom, I'm a success now. I, I have the keys. Um, I've gone to a lot of certifications, a lot of retreats, a lot of weekend events, seminars, workshops, and I've left there feeling, uh, empowered, feeling on top of the world, feeling ready to just crush enlightened. Um, so I do think they're great and I think you should go to them because I still to this day go to them and they help so much. But I'm trying to think right now. Honestly, I almost hate getting this answer because the first thing that comes to mind is something unrealistic for a lot of people. But the turning point for my business was having my daughter. Once I found out I was having my daughter, Everything had a different purpose behind it. Everything had a different drive. Like waking up got easy. Like I didn't have to hit snooze anymore. Getting through the week wasn't even a thing. It was like I was just fired up all week. Monday was exciting. I was just so excited to start new projects, try new things, implement new things, study more, get more clients, help more people, produce more content. Like everything just became so easy um, because I just had such a deep meaning behind it all. But the, the reason I hate answering the question that way is because it's like, what am I telling you to do? Go have a baby and then you'll, you'll be successful. Like that's probably not the case. Um, so I think like if I reverse engineer that, like what happened when I had a baby? Well, first thing I did was focus all on me. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. The turning point for my business is when I went all in on me. You know, I worked at a gym for a long time. Um, and I love that facility. Um, still have a ton of love for it. Still have a ton of respect for it. Um, I learned so much there. But I outgrew it. Um, there comes a point in every entrepreneur's career where you just get to a point where you have to do your own thing. And if that's you, right, there's entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are people who are supposed to work for somebody else. They're supposed to be inside the build building, but they're a linchpin. They're somebody who is producing mad results inside that building, and they make shit move. They make shit happen, and they're supposed to be in there. They're supposed to help bring that team up. Um, and entrepreneurs are just as important as entrepreneurs, but they're just different people. I'm an entrepreneur, um, I, and I've always known that, and I've always wanted to do my own thing. I've always wanted to be my own entity. I've always wanted to have my own corporation. So I was saying I can't, just like my last podcast. If you haven't listened to the I Can't versus Won't podcast, go check that out. But I was saying I can't do it on my own. I can't have what it takes. I don't 
I don't know how, like I, I just kept procrastinating. Um, and it wasn't until I had my daughter that I realized that I needed to step up and do something. But I basically went all in on me. At that point, for a long time, I was, I was marketing myself and I was marketing uh, their brand, that gym's brand. And that wasn't doing me or them any favors. You know, like I was growing. Don't get me wrong. It was doing me favors. I was growing and I was getting better and I was reaching more people. But it was at a snail's pace. Um, and the amount of work I was doing there was good, but it wasn't great. It was just good. I was just doing what I needed to do and I wasn't – I was enthusiastic about it, but I wasn't going as hard as I could go. I wasn't giving my 100%. I was like 80% in. So I'm dipping my toes in the water of each side, both my brand and this gym's brand. And what happened is that I was giving a little bit to both and not – all of it to one thing. So once I made this decision of having to step away to create my own brand, my own movement, so I could create a life for my family, um, I went all in on me. There was no dipping my toes in anything else. It was I jumped in the pool. I jumped in my own pool. I, it was all on me. Financially, my future physically, mentally, emotionally, everything was on me. And it was scary as fuck. It was the first time in my life that I realized, like, I have no one to depend on. No one to support me. No one to create security for me. No one to create leads for me. Nobody to tell me what to do. I had to figure it all out. And it was scary, but I thrived in that environment. And things grew exponentially quick since then. Um, and the business took off and it's because I went all in on me. And when I'm all in on me and I'm all in on my business, nothing else matters but helping the clients that I'm working with. Like all that mattered to me is like, okay, I have this brand. How can I create the most impact possible? I mean, shit, I've been talking to you guys for over 30 minutes. This is, that's why I do this. I'm just, I'm get this is free. I just want to help people. But when I can do it on my own terms, it changed everything. So I was able to start systemizing things my way and talk about workflow strategy. That was part of your question. Like, yeah, that got factored into it because now I can look at my day and my week and my month and my year and go, all I have to do is build my brand to reach more people. How do I reverse engineer that? Where do I want to be? First of all, my first goal is like, you know, I want to touch a million lives. Okay, well, what does that look like? Well, that looks like a, a brand who has a YouTube channel that's thriving, a podcast that's thriving, um, a team of individuals helping them grow, blogs coming out every week, videos coming out every week, Instagram reaching tons of people. Like I, I had to keep chopping it down, right? Um, and I started reverse engineering and, and taking the action steps to get to those places. Um, but again, it was all me. So there was no confusion in my marketing. I was extremely authentic. I was extremely transparent. And I still am to this day. And everything is boom, boom performance. So once I went all in on me, everything became more clear and I was more enthusiastic. I was more energetic. I was more happy about what I was doing. I felt like I was making a bigger impact because I was and it took off. So like to kind of boil that down to like what was the turning point for my business, like number one, it was having my child. Um, but number two, it was going all in on myself because as soon as I went all in on me and all in on my brand, it allowed my potential to grow, the clarity of what I needed to do in order to gain more power, it just it went through the roof. And that allowed me to reach more people was which was my number one goal um to just create impact. So I think that was the biggest turning point for me. And and I can again, I can boil that down to different situations. I remember going on a retreat um with Steve Krebs uh and a bunch of guys that I, I, I knew in this group. And it was an amazing trip in San Diego. Uh, Matt Persia, uh, or sorry, Joey Persia, Matt Prince, um, uh, Michael, Darwin. Uh, shit, I'm missing a bunch of guys. But Ryan, there's so many people out there that we went with. And it was like this group of guys who we've all been following our, each other's stuff. Eric Escobar, I can't forget him. He's like a brother to me. I still talk to him every day, um, every week. Uh, I talked to Matt a lot too. I talked to a lot of these guys a lot still. But it was like this group of dudes that were all fitness entrepreneurs traveling around the world. Literally, all, uh, Matt flew from Australia every time. And, you know, that was the turning point for me as well because I found out I was having a child. Um, these were the first people I told that I was having a baby. Um, I found out and then <laughs> Shannon left for work and I got on a call with all these guys and I broke down and I was scared. And I, I, full transparency, I cried. And I was like, it was funny because we're all on this group call. And I'm going on a complete side tangent, but that's okay. It's my podcast. <laughs> I'll do it. So we're on a group call, and Steve, Steve is like, you guys heard him. If you haven't listened to the episode with Steve, go listen to that. He's a Jedi. He's like, 
what's going on with you? And I'm like, what do you mean, man? I'm fine. Cool. I'm straight. Okay, whatever, man. Okay. And we keep going through, going through, going through. He's asking us questions, reviewing our week. No, but for real, man. Hey, Cody, real quick. What's going on with you, man? What's, what's, what's bugging you? What's on your mind? And I kept like just kind of saying, man, you're tripping. I'm cool. I'm straight. And guys do that. We deflect. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Really, you're eating up inside. And finally, I just broke down. I was like, I'm fucking scared, man. I'm having a baby. And they were just like, what? And they freaked out. And congratulations. And I was scared shitless. Um, and it was a turning point for me. And uh, like weeks after that, we flew out to San Diego for a, an event, kind of like a mastermind that he held. Um, and I remember going, he had this drill. We had to like sprint up this mountain, get over the other side. And then we ended up on the beach and we had to walk out in the ocean. It was like six in the morning. And we had to find a big ass rock and we had to connect with that rock. And that rock described our past. It was something we wanted to let go of. And it was a specific thing, person, place, whatever was bugging you, whatever you needed to let go of so you could go all in on yourself. So I grabbed that rock. I sat there with that rock. I talked to the fucking rock. And I thought about it for a while. And I walked out in the ocean as deep as I could. And I threw it as far as I fucking could with all my power. And as weird as it sounds, is like when I threw that rock into the ocean, it was like the biggest weight off my shoulders. And at that moment, I was clear what I had to do. And what that was is I had to go out on my own. I had to do my own thing. I had to hold my own. I had to build my own. I had to create my own team. I had to support my own team and family and everything. But it was at that moment I let go of everything else and just focused on the one thing that I knew I was best at, the one thing I needed to do, and the one thing I wanted to do. So if I can give any advice like out, out of this long-winded answer, the turning point for my business that everybody can take away from this is we all have one thing that we need to focus on. Don't be a jack of all trades, master of none. Focus on one single thing and go all in on that one thing. And as scary as it might sound, as scary as it might be to let go of those other things in your life, no matter how much you relied on them, no matter how much you loved them, no matter how much you cared about them, just like I did, it's what you need to do. So super, super important. Um, that was the turning point in my business. <laughs> Carmen Alessa, Carmen Electra. Who should eat carbs pre-workout and who should be drinking an intra-workout shake versus a post-workout shake? And she gave some examples, you know, like what if your goal is fat loss? What if your goal is performance? What if you're a bodybuilder versus a power lifter versus Olympic lifter? So I'm just going to break this down pretty quick because this one's easy. I think pre-workout carbs, there's two ways to look at this. Number one, pre-workout carbs uh, matter less if your entire nutritional approach and prescription is on point. If your entire nutritional prescription is on point, you already have your recovery needs taken care of and you already have your fuel and your performance substrates taken care of as well. Meaning carbohydrates store in your body for 24 to 36 hours, I believe it is. Those nutrients are stored and ready to use later on in training. So you shouldn't be relying on something you eat 20 minutes before your workout, an hour before your workout. You should be worrying about what you ate the day before. That's what's going to create stress in your gut during your training that's what's going to give you the glycogen you need to perform hard that's what's going to give you the fuel and the recovery after your training so on and so forth nutrients don't turn over that quick on our body now with that being said there are some factors that play a role especially if you're already pretty lean or if you're training super hard um, glycogen can get depleted quicker dopamine and serotonin levels can change depending on what you eat before your workout um, cortisol levels can change so there's a lot of factors that go into it so who I do think should have carbs pre-workout is anybody who th wants to build muscle. Anybody who wants to build strength and muscle, I think you should probably have a carb plus protein meal about one to two hours uh, before your workout. Um, timing depends on digestion ability per person. Um, but just about everybody, and even if your goal is fat loss, you can still have a, a pre-workout meal. It depends how you feel. I don't like working out without carbs in my system. So for me, um, even though I do have a full tank of glycogen from the day before, I tend to like to eat a good carb protein meal right before I train, about two hours before. Maybe it's placebo. Maybe it is the dopamine response. Uh, whatever it is, maybe it's just because I get a little bit better of a pump when I have immediately ready carbohydrates. I like it. It just helps me out. Um, and then I also feel like I don't have to rush to uh, carbs post-workout because I do still have carbs in my, in my system that I just ate a couple hours ago. Um, now, who should be drinking an intra-workout shake versus a post-workout shake? I personally believe the only people that really need to worry about an intra-workout shake are either A, marathon or endurance runners because you're going for such a long period of time, or B, people who are seriously focused on muscle mass, so bodybuilders and people who really want to build as much muscle as possible um, and limit muscle protein breakdown, limit cortisol spikes um, so you can just build as much muscle. 
it's a great way because the carbohydrates are uh, cyclic dextrin, for example, is a great intra workout carbohydrate shake. It's multiple strands of glucose in, in glycogen. So it's not just, you know, one, it's not just dextrose, it's multiple things. And because of that, the molecular uh, weight is, is different and it breaks down way faster and absorbs way faster in your small intestine. And because of that, you're going to get a better pump, you're going to get quicker recovery, and you're actually going to build more muscle because studies have shown cross-sectional muscle tissue has actually grown when intra-workout uh, nutrition was implemented. Um, they also implemented essential amino acids, um, not BCAs, but EAAs inside of that workout shake. So I do think that's a, a, a good thing. When you should move that to post-workout is when you're doing anything very neurological-based. So if you're a CrossFitter who is not only very neurologically demanding but also uh, very glycolytic, so you're burning a ton of carbs during your training, you should have a, a shake with powdered carbs and protein post-workout because you need it for the cortisol response to blunt that cortisol response since your nervous system was rampant on sympathetic mode so hard, but also to quickly replenish that glycogen you just burned because you are doing a very glycolytically <laughs> glycolytically intense uh, form of training. Um, and then somebody like a power lifter or a weight lifter, I don't think you need to really worry about it as much um, because you're not doing such glycolytic work because it's very low rep, very strength or power speed oriented. But what I will say is it's still very sympathetic nervous system dominant. So because of that, you could use a little bit of carbs. You could even do 10 grams, 15 grams of carbs from cyclic dextrin with 25 to 30 grams of whey protein. That's going to give you an insulin spike and it is going to blunt that cortisol response. And that's the big purpose there is because you're doing stressful training. So therefore, you're probably going to want something to blunt that response. All right, so I've answered one, two, three, four, five, six questions, and it's already – my timer says 41 minutes. I don't know what your guys says, but that means uh, I need to hurry up or I need to kind of nitpick these questions because <laughs> rapid fire is not happening, and I can always save some of these for later, guys. So let me, uh, let me scroll through these. Let me see what I want to put on – what I want to do first. All right, so I have two questions on this. I have one question from Foodie for Life that says, I put on fat on my stomach very quickly, but when I lose, it's the last place to, part to reduce. Can I ha somehow lose fat only from there? And then I have somebody named uh, Moe Isaac Fowler. Man, that was the first name I fucked up today. I was doing good. If someone is too much of a neat freak, non-exercise uh, activity thermogenesis freak, and is pretty accurate on eating – on their eating slash macros and can't seem to shift that last bit of stubborn lower belly fat, what should they work on? So the reason I'm putting these two together is because they're both asking about lower belly fat. And the truth is, is you can't really target muscle fat loss. Now, there are some studies that are like very splitting hairs, and I'm talking like half of a percent difference, where if you draw blood flow to that area, so if you're really lean, if somebody is like on point, you have like literally a couple pounds of lose, you're getting ready for show. I would do this because at that point, everything you do to make that 1% difference really is splitting hairs for the average individual, but you're on a different level. You're getting on stage, whatever. I would do this and you can bring blood flow and oxygen into the, a specific area of your body by trying to elicit hypertrophy or trying to elicit stress to that muscle group in that area and then you do cardio. So if lower belly was your area, you would do a ton of hanging knee raises, for example, a ton of sit-ups, bring a lot of blood flow into your abdominals and then you would immediately do your cardio um, that you have planned in your program right after that. That could be an option. Now, for most people listening to this who, who suffer with stubborn belly fat, that's completely splitting hair. It's not worth it because that's not going to make a huge difference whatsoever. So for those people, what I would recommend is actually to focus on hormones. You know, how much are you sleeping each night? That's huge. What kind of foods are you eating? Are you getting the right micronutrients? Are you sourcing your meat from organic sources? Are you staying away from things like canola oil? Are you staying away from uh, hormone-induced and chemical-induced chicken and beef and stuff like that? Are you shopping somewhat grass-fed and organic? Are you strength training properly? Are you lowering stress levels? Are you timing your nutrients to benefit your cortisol levels? Because a lot of times when we see belly fat, um, this happens with men uh, in their chest as well when they get like breast, it's all hormonal related. So breast stuff is over estrogen, under uh, testosterone usually, but belly fat with men and women is usually, um, could be thyroid issues, could be testosterone issues, could be a lot of things, but number one thing I usually go to is like you have cortisol issues, which tells me stress is out of whack, which tells me most likely your other hormones are out of whack as well. So the biggest thing for them to do 
is work on stress management. And sometimes that means reverse dieting a little bit. Sometimes that means not going low carb because that stresses your body out. Maybe a little bit moderate low fat, give them the bare minimum and then bump carbs up so they're actually recovering from the training and, and all the stress that they have in their life, the sympathetic modalities in their life. Um, sympathetic outputs. You need to bring in those parasympathetic inputs. Go get a massage. Go have some downtime. Netflix and chill. Um, those are the biggest things for lower belly fat. Like anytime we have just a little, little bit of lower belly fat working, it comes from two things. Number one, you're not actually being consistent enough. So even if a person is a neat freak and it's really dialed in with their macros, are they the type where they're going three months hard and then they fall off for a month, gain weight, and come back at it for three months hard? And those people, I would say, hey, Commit to six to eight months and go a little bit slower, folks, on lifestyle factors. Focus on making this a little bit more individualized and more uh, coherent with your lifestyle. And I guarantee it's going to be slower, but you're going to get to that result and you're actually going to keep it off. Um, the reason – like they did studies that show this. Like the more you lose weight and gain weight um, – and BioLane has uh, – Lane Norton has a bunch of stuff on this, which is really good. The more you lose weight and gain weight, uh, the more stubborn those fat cells become. It becomes harder and harder to actually remove those fat cells because they grow and they multiply. So it's not a matter of like, oh, you get fatter, your fat cells actually grow in size, which they do. But now they're actually seeing that you actually multiply fat cells. So if you lose weight and then gain it back, you're actually doubling your fat cells. You'll gain more fat cells, which becomes way harder to lose than it does to shrink fat cells. So it's very important to have sustainability. And then again, cortisol management, stress management, hormonal management. It's the biggest things for that. How do you know – this is from Tiffy underscore R. How do you know if you should switch nutrition coaches? Damn. Under some heat. Well, if you're considering it, you should probably head on over to boomboomperformance.com. Meet the coaches. We just got that page up. Actually, that's a cool just a little shout out. I was just joking about that, kind of not really. But um, we have a new page. It's called Meet the Coaches. So you can go to boomboomperformance.com slash meet. I think it's meet dash the dash coaches. Um, and we got like a little cool page with uh, with myself and the coaches on it. So if you want to check that out, go check it out. But um, how do you know if you should switch nutrition coaches? I think the easiest way for me to say this would be, um, you know, number one, if you're if you're thinking about it, then yeah, you probably should. Like if there's something bugging you about your nutrition coach, number one, bring it up with your nutrition coach. Uh, number two, like, no, I mean that's that's number one. That's the only one. Like bring it up with them and tell them what's concerning you. And if they aren't willing to adjust or support your needs or support your concerns, then I think it's time to look for a nutrition coach. Because you know, even myself, I'll be transparent. I've had plenty of people that have reached out and said, "Hey, you know what? Like I think I need a little bit more help with this." Or like, "Hey, I was expecting a little bit of this," and it, and they've been with me six months after having that conversation. They were thinking about leaving. They were doubting what we were doing. But they were honest and they brought it up and we communicated about it. And I said, hey, that's not a problem. I just didn't know that was your needs, right? Like every person is different. Every person has different accountability needs, support needs, nutritional needs, everything, educational needs, how much explanation they need. So talk to your coach and they will probably work with you. If they're not willing to, then yeah, you got to bounce. But um, you should be working with someone who provides you not only the answer of what you need to, or the solution, but also the explanation behind it. So I just posted on my story the other day because a client was like, hey, like I just want to let you know I appreciate that you not only tell me what adjustment I need to make this week, but you tell me everything about it, why this is going to be a smart adjustment, why it's going to work, how it's going to work, why you're making this adjustment at this time, so on and so forth. And I appreciate that as a client because it gives me so much more context and helps me adhere to it much better. And that was like music to my ears because – that's why I do this and that's why I think more coaches need to focus on education because if you educate a client, they're going to be more adherent and consistent with what you give them 100% of the time. So I'm a big believer in education. I think if your coach isn't educating you, you might need to consider switching a new one. Um, if you just don't vibe with them, if you don't like their systems, if you don't like the way you go about emailing with them, if you don't feel comfortable talking to them and opening up to them, those are all signs to me. Like I think there's – you know, a, a nutrition coach needs to be not just a nutrition coach as in somebody who gives you macros. They need to be somebody that communicates with you, that helps you, that has empathy for you, sympathy for you, um, that educates you, that holds you accountable, that is there when you need them, whenever you need them, so on and so forth. So I think that's huge. Oli loves horses. Thoughts on long-term 36-plus-hour fasts? I think they're great if you can actually consistently do them. Um, I think there's something that you need to focus on doing um, 
once a month, like 36 plus hours is a long time. So like I'm, I'm thinking once a month, maybe, um, I don't know, uh, once a month, once every two months. I think they're great though. Like I, I'm not a huge fan of daily intermittent fasting. There is some good evidence, but for most of the people I work with, uh, it's just hard to adhere to, or they are focusing on performance as well. And I find that people perform a little bit better when they don't intermittent fast. But at the same time, I have a lot of busy individuals that are do great with intermittent fasting because they don't have time to sit down and eat breakfast and then plan meals and do so on and so forth. So the less meals they have to eat in a day, the better. Um, so, but for 36 plus hour fast, I like them because there's a lot of like, um, disease reversing disease preventing uh risk management insulin sensitivity hormonal sensitivity and, and improvement a lot of benefits from just a health standpoint that come along from doing longer fasts like 36 hours even just 24 anywhere between 24 to 72 hours there's a ton of really good benefits from like cell regeneration to insulin sensitivity to hormone management to metabolism to um inflammation in your body and your gut digestive tract so on and so forth so i'm a big fan of them um, i don't do them often i'm just gonna be honest cause i love food so much it's just hard for me to do them but um i do think they are i think they're good i think they're beneficial rita js 52 difference between body fat and losing weight. So I'm assuming she meant different between losing fat and losing weight. Um, yeah, like I think that losing fat is a slower process if you're only focusing on just losing fat. And that's actually what we should be just focusing on because if we're just concerned about the weight on the scale, number one, it's going to mess with your head so much. But number two, you're going so hard, you're going so fast that you're not paying attention to what type of weight you're losing. And if you're losing water weight, losing skeletal weight, losing muscle, losing all these other things, that's not good. That's not healthy for us. It's not sustainable. Um, and nine times out of 10, when somebody gets to their end result, when they just focus on weight loss, they usually get to that like quote unquote skinny fat mode. They finally lost the weight. The weight, the number on the scale is exactly what they want to see, but they look in the mirror and they don't look like they expected. Um, and, and usually it's because they focus on just losing weight for so long. They never focus on building muscle. Um, and I even have men, I have men and women who do this. They'll get to their weight loss goal and it's like, well, fuck, why are, aren't my abs popping out? Why are my arms looking jacked? And it's like, well, because you haven't spent time building muscle. Like that's where we need to go with this. So I think taking a slower approach so you can sustain as much muscle as possible is always going to be better. And that's the difference between losing fat and losing weight. If you lose a pound of fat, you will look significantly different but the weight on the scale won't change much at all. You could gain a pound of muscle and lose a pound of fat. Or if you gained one pound of muscle and you lost two pounds of fat and you only lost one pound on the scale, you would look so drastically different, so much better. But you're not going to see much different on the scale and it's going to be frustrating. So I think it's, I think it's smarter from a health standpoint, from a mental standpoint, uh, from a visual standpoint, aesthetic standpoint. Um, so I would, definitely, uh, I would definitely focus on losing fat versus weight. Okay, guys, I think I'm going to save the rest of these questions for next time because some of them get into the weeds, and I know I'll rant for 20 minutes on them. So I have one last question from my girl, underscore Rhiannon dot Danielle. If a crystal ball could tell you the truth about anything you wanted to know, what would you want to know and why? Take a sip of my coffee. I probably should have thought about this. I read the question. I was like, oh, that's a great question. I can't wait to answer that. And then I just completely spaced and didn't think about my answer. I got to think about this. You know, my mind goes everywhere. Part of me goes, I would love to know what's up with the Freemasons. Like, what are those motherfuckers actually doing? Or like Illuminati. What is going on with the Illuminati? I want to know, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? What do I need to know? Do I need to know? Is it real? Like, what's the deal with them? But that's probably not what I would want to know. But that's one of the things that came to mind. It's like, fuck, the Illuminati's crazy. I would love to know that. Um, I would love to know. Man. I mean, to be honest with you, like the most, it might be a cliche answer. Um, but I want to know the 100% truth, how we all got here. How did the beginning of time really happen? I'm not a religious person. Um, I grew up, uh, I, I lived with my grandma for a, a good amount of time, and she's a very religious person. So I grew up around Christianity. Um, I also had Catholicism in my family. Um, I had, uh, I have uncles who are Jewish. Um, I dated a Jehovah Witness. 
I, I, I literally, I've, I had friends who are Mormon. I've, I've been around everything. So I've never really, to be honest with you, I've actually had a lot of Buddhist friends too, and I've read a lot of Buddhism, which I love. I've never really been um, influenced by any of them, actually. None of them have really pressured me any other way, and I've never been sucked into one thing. I've just always uh, learned a little bit about everything, and I've always just believed that there was a higher power above us. And, and if you're, you know, I, I know religion is not something that usually we talk about on the podcast, but... Um, it's kind of like politics. Nobody wants to talk about it. But to be honest with you, like, I believe there's something above us, and I believe there's a reason everything is happening. I don't know how much of science is true. I don't know um, you know, how much of the Bible is exact. I don't know any of this stuff. I don't because I'm not well-versed on any of it. But if there's anything I could know the absolute 100% truth about, and why, like, it would be that. And why is just because I'm just curious. I've always been curious. Um, I grew up in a home that wasn't super religious. Nobody really talked about any of it because – um, their parents, my grandparents on both sides were, and so I think it just kind of got like confusing, and so nobody talked about it. So my whole life, I've just always wondered, what is the absolute truth? What is really going on? What was the original Bible all about? What did they really write in there? What about science is actually true? How did the earth actually start? Like, what is going on? Um, that's such a weird way for me to answer, and it's kind of cliche, but man, I think that's that's where I would go with that answer. Um, that and the Illuminati. I'm curious about the Illuminati. I think the Illuminati's got something up their sleeve. But uh, but I think that's the biggest thing that's on my mind that comes to my mind. I'm still trying to think if there's any way I would change it. But um, and, I, and I have my beliefs, and I know a lot of people do have their, their beliefs too, but I would love to know the honest, 100% exact truth. So not even just saying, like, I'm doubting what I believe, but I'm saying – like, how did the story really go? Like, how did every fucking second of it go? I want to know the exact thing um, of how it all began. I think that would probably – actually, you know what another one would be? Now I'm going on a rant. But, um, so I would definitely – I'm curious about the Illuminati. I'm curious about how everything has started. And I'm also curious about the Egyptians. You know, there's a lot of talk about the Egyptians having – you know, I've heard people talk about um, – and I've listened to interviews. I've watched documentaries. I'm a geek like this. Um basically the Egyptians knowing more about space and life and all these different things than we we know now. Um, and I've heard other scientists say no, scientists saying no, that's impossible. There's no way. Uh, but then there's other people that are like, look at, if you look in the pyramid, you know, there's all these tunnels that they walked through at the bottom of the pyramids, but there's no lights. There's no places for lanterns. There's no nothing. There's no torch holders. Like how did they see inside of these pyramids? Because there's no windows. So what they think is, you know, there's a hole at the very, very top of the pyramid and there's like these tunnels and they think that they drew energy from the universe or some shit like that, which sounds so weird now that I'm saying it out loud. That sounds like I'm a psycho, but man, it intrigued me. So I'm just like, man, how did they do it? And if you look at where the pyramids are on the the, the map ge- uh, geographically, they're actually in these high uh, energy points according to the universe or some shit like that. Like basically like if you look at the ones in um, um, where are the Aztecan ones? Uh, Peru, Egypt. Uh, I think there's some in Moscow. There's these other pyramids around the world, but they're all at these specific points in the world that draw more energy from the sun or the universe. Some weird, crazy shit like that. So I would really like to know what the hell is going on with the Egyptians. What did those motherfuckers know that we don't know? Did they know anything we don't know? Is it all hype? Like, and how do they build that shit? Like, there's like these huge pyramids, and there's these huge lion statues, and all these crazy things. So, um, I'm a weird guy. I like to watch random weird documentaries on Netflix when I'm bored. I listen to podcasts with interviews about history and stuff. So, um, I'm big into that stuff. So, I think most of my like what I would want to know the truth about is all going to be about history. And the only why is to be honest with you, I'm just so damn curious. I'm curious about. Um, Rome, and I'm curious about uh, the way the earth started and, and the, the truth about the Bible. I'm, I'm curious about the Illuminati. I'm curious about Freemasons. I'm cur- curious about these pyramids. I'm curious about Genghis Khan. He has a really cool story. Uh, but just having like uh, somebody who could, like a genie that could tell me all of history would be the coolest thing ever. So um, I am Cody the Weirdo McBroom, and uh, <laughs> that's the end of the podcast. Alright guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide 
to mastering your diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes chart. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.